0: Week three of the one-week message. We're going to wrap this up today. Lord willing, and the creeks don't rise, as my grandma Dee used to say. The seven qualities of a mature Christian. Uh, yeah, we last two weeks, we've actually managed to get through five of them. So we're just left with the last two today, brotherly kindness and love. So turn with me in your Bibles We'll read that scripture that this message, let's just call it a series. The series has been based out of. No, Siri, I don't okay. need you. I, I said reason. series. <sighs> Shut him up. Shut up. 2 Peter, chapter 1, starting with verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. Who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, his glory and goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, through what? Through his great and precious promises... You may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, for what reason? For the opportunity to participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world today, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith, here they are, goodness, and to goodness, Knowledge And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. And here it is again. Every promise has a condition. And it's called an if. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will. There's the promise. They will. Keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if... You do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, that it is through these, through your great and precious promises, that we can participate in the divine nature, that we can be thy kingdom come, thy will be done uh. uh Conduent through that uh, an ambassador of your kingdom here on earth now spreading your kingdom everywhere we go that we're not a victim we're not helpless there's not a big war between evil and good you've already won and you've set the crown on our head and declared us more than conquerors we are more than victorious in you God It's all done, and we thank you for your precious promises and the strength that you've given us, everything we need to live a godly life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've already covered, like I said, the first five qualities, but allow me quickly to just recap so we're up to speed again. Goodness, number one. The first one was goodness. Be good and do good, according to Proverbs 3, like Pastor Neil just quoted. Tells us how to be good, to be humble, fear the Lord, shun evil, and honor God with the first fruits of all our crops. And do good, be good and do good, be good and do good. Do good to all people, sowing to please the Spirit. That's doing good. And to your goodness, add knowledge. Remember, knowledge is learning truth. Wisdom is knowing how to apply the truth. And as a matter of fact, the Word says, God says, if you lack wisdom, if you lack the ability to know how to handle the truth that you're learning, just ask Him. He'll give it to you. But He leaves the knowledge part, the searching His Word, studying His Word and applying it to our life, or getting it in our life, on our, our responsibility True righteousness means knowing, being, and doing. True righteousness means knowing, being, and doing rather than merely acquiring biblical facts. The whole foundation of these seven qualities are based on this principle of through our knowledge of Him. Remember, I used the example that you could be given. I think I picked on Wayne Taylor that day. You can be given... uh, By a long-lost relative, a whole estate, everything you need, a full bank account, everything you need to maintain that great big estate, mansion, and everything. And the lawyer sends you a letter in the mail to let you know of your inheritance, but you look at the letter, or you look at the envelope and don't even look at the letter. But through your knowledge, when you open up that envelope and read the letter... That's learning, that's gaining knowledge, that's through that knowledge, then you go, oh, that's what I have, that's mine. Same thing with God's word. It's through our knowledge that we understand the promises and what we have been given. We're also understanding the if parts. See, too many people today want to grab on the promises of God, but kind of shun the little ifs. Oh, I don't have to do that anymore. Grace covers that. I don't have to do that. God just gives me, gives me, gives me. Let me ask you, if you had a child at home and he never did what you wanted him to do, but always asked you to give, give, give to him, would that continue in your home? No. And if it would, please adopt me. Mama, mama, mama. No. No. Come on. Ifs. Ifs. And wills. And it's through those promises. Remember he says through our knowledge of God. That we will have according to verse 2. Grace and peace and abundance. According to verse 3. Divine power and everything we need to live a godly life. Verse 4 said that we'll participate in the divine nature. And escape the corruption of the world. World. Verse 10. That we will never fall. Verse 11. That we will receive a rich welcome. Into the kingdom of God. Great and precious promises. When? If. If. If you continue to add these, through your knowledge, if you continue to add these things, in increasing measure. Number three, so add to your faith goodness. Add to goodness knowledge. Add to, add to knowledge self-control. Ugh. Nobody likes that one. It's mm. so like this whole weight loss challenge Things for this whole month. I want to lose the weight. I just don't want to go without cupcakes. Or cookies. Or chocolate. Or bread. <laughs> Why? Self-control. And according to 1 Peter one thirteen, we have to prepare our minds for action to be self-controlled. You can't just fall into being a disciplined individual. You can't just by accident be self-controlled. It's a determination of your mind. I will Be self control. It's a will. It's a mindset. And it's the gate to living God's kingdom here. Your mindset. What you think. What you think. And again, I challenge you. Every time you have a negative thought in your mind, or even if you believe it's a truth, just speak it out loud and let yourself hear what you're thinking. And you'll go, wait a minute, that don't sound right. Brian and I was just talking about this the other day with somebody that he was talking to, and the person was struggling with feeling uh, less than. We'll just say that that you know the person can't do this or can't do this because of blah blah blah. And Brian says, how, "What do I? How do you even respond to that?" I said, "Tom, to speak it out loud. Does that sound like something God would say?" Well, when you speak it out loud, it's like, no, God wouldn't tell me I'm not worthy enough to do this or that. No. Speak those things out loud. The enemy can only deceive you when you listen to his lie. And you only empower the liar when you believe the lie. So be very diligent and self-controlled here in speaking out the things that are starting to roll around in your head. So that you can hear that and, and... Stop it right away. Bill Johnson always says, I don't have time to think a thought in my mind that God doesn't have in his mind about me. I don't have time for anything else. I really don't. If anybody, I mean, I don't need an accuser of the brethren. I don't need the devil to tell me what a rotten person I am. Hello. Don't we all do that well enough on our own? No. But I don't have time to mope around. You know, I think we were just saying that at dinner last night. I feel like the most uneducated, uh, unworthy person to be standing up here leading a congregation. I struggle with that constantly. Every day. I have to talk myself into getting up and doing what I'm supposed to do. Because it's God that closed me. It's his love that crowned me. You know, he's called me a princess. He's equipped me. He's wrote every plan for my life. So if I do anything less than what he's calling me to do, I'm spinning back in the face of God that I don't believe you. And I can't do that. I don't want to get to the end of my life and him said, you know, I had so much more for you to do. But you just continue to wallow in your inability or your belief that you were unable to do this. And yet, I gave you everything. You had all my power. And it, this scripture even says, He gives of His Spirit to us. So, self control means controlling what you think. Set your mind to action. God, I can because you did. God, I will because you said. So, it's preparing your mind for action. We even had you read through Galatians 5 16 through 25 because it really is a choice. No choice is still a choice. You're either choosing to walk by the spirit or walk by the flesh. And if you said, well, I haven't decided yet, indecision is still a decision. You're either walking according to the spirit or you're walking according to the flesh. There's no in between. And when you start walking according to the spirit, it says you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. When you're thinking about what I can do, what I can do, and stop focusing on what I can't do, what God's telling me I can't do, you will begin, or not, you will not satisfy the desires of flesh. You will begin to walk in that divine nature. But it's looking forward, it's thinking about the things you can do. In that scripture, Galatians 5, there, twice it's mentioned that when we are led by the Spirit, there is no law. Twice it says there is no law. And I wrote down here, law tells us what we can't do, but love tells us what we can do. See, when we're looking at the law of man, when we're looking at what we can't do, can't do, can't do, can't do, can't do, do. It's just a matter of what we, I have to be good, so I can't do this, I can't do that. Instead of love saying, I've given you this, I've given you that, do this, do this, do this. See, law tells us what we can't do, but love tells us what we can do. So focus on what you should do and not what you shouldn't do. Self-control, preparing your mind for action. Number four, so what was it again? Number one, qualities of a mature Christian... Add to your faith goodness, add to, add to goodness knowledge, add to knowledge self-control, and then add to self-control perseverance. Why? Think about the order of this. When you start trying to walk in self-control and setting your mind for action, all kinds of trials will come your way. So he said, don't just go through the trial, persevere under the trial because there's something in you that's trying to be worked out of you. And I shared that story of the blacksmith with you that, you know, sometimes feels like God's just hammering away at our life, sticking us in the fire of affliction and then dousing us under the water, holding us under and we're like, you know, drowning under the water. And we're like, let us up, let us up. And he picks us up and instead of coddling us. Oh, I'm so sorry. He sticks us in the fire again, puts us back on his, you know, and start hammering again and anvil and then stiffs us back in the water again and what do we do? We scream, that's it! I can't take God's just being mean and the whole world's against me and I give up. Where do you go? Back to square one. It's like, okay, well, we'll try this again then. Go ahead. You can pout for a while. But there's something in you that needs to come out. I... Most vivid picture is when my dad worked at GM. We got to go on one of those tours. And I loved that place. I don't even know what it was called. I don't know how old I was either. But there was all this very hot molten something. And I don't even know. All I remember is every time I read scriptures about that, there was like this sludge stuff on top. And wouldn't they have to skim that off? They'd be sticking metal or something. I don't know. But it's that whole thing that you've got to understand that that fire is the only thing that brings to the top that I think it's called dross. And it's got to be skimmed off. But if he sticks you in the fire and you scream, it's too hot, I can't take this, everybody's against me, the world hates me. And you run off and pout, he's like, okay, well, we'll hit the fire some other day then. Because that thing's got to come out. Perseverance means I'm going to stand up. Actually, the definition is... A steadfastness in doing something despite the difficulty or the delay in achieving the success. You understand you have to go all the way through it for that thing to come out of you before you don't have to undergo that same trial again. If you keep screaming and crying and pouting that I can't handle it, it's horrible. The world's against me. Why does everybody come up against me on this one thing? Maybe it's that one thing that needs to come out of you. He said, consider it pure joy when you undergo trials of many kind. Why? Because perseverance is the only thing that will finish you And make you complete and mature, not lacking anything. But perseverance has to complete its work. You've got to go through the fire. Go go under the hammer. Go into the water. Go back to the fire. Go onto the hammer. Go back in the water. Until it's worked out of you. Perseverance must finish its work. And then to perseverance, add godliness. See, if you try to add godliness before perseverance, what would that look like? Spoiled brat. Yay, all right. She said spoiled brat for those of you listening at home. And yeah, Spoiled brat. Godliness or a prideful arrogance, right? Says, oh, look what I can do. Oh, look what I can do. It's hard to be prideful when you're getting stuck in the fire and hammered on mercifully and stuck in the water. It's hard to be prideful. Because you know it's not according to your work or what you can do, but according to God. And what he's doing in you and through you. So add godliness. Verse 3 says, his divine, divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Through our knowledge of him. So you don't know what you don't know. If you don't know, you have power over Satan. Then you'll always be subservient to him. He'll speak something. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Oh, you're warm. Yeah, I know I'm warm. Yeah, I know I'm warm. Oh, you can't do that. Yeah, you're right. I can't do that. You've been given everything through the knowledge. Wait a minute. You were crushed in the garden. You were cursed in the garden, crushed in the other garden. Right? Right? He was cursed in the first garden and crushed in the garden of Gethsemane. Because it was that day that Jesus stood up and submitted to the will of the Father. said, not my will be done, but yours. And he crushed the head of the serpent. He sealed his doom at the tomb. Oh, the puns just keep coming. <laughs> Boom. Sorry. All right. Godliness. Uh, I mentioned before that our lives should be lived should be lived as a memorial that honors the sacrifice of Jesus's life. Our life should be lived as a memorial to to recognize the greatness of His sacrifice. Kind of like the Fourth of July or Memorial Day. You know that all the Soldiers that, you know, go to war and lay their lives on the line so that we can have freedom. And yet, you know, anyway, I'm not going to get into a political debate here, but um, we take that freedom for granted too often. Anyway, verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. And to purify for himself a people that are his very own. The words redeem and purify imply something to be cleansed and redeemed from. Godliness means a, a leaving of and a cleaving to. A leaving of and a cleaving to. There should be a definite line in the sand. A bloodline in your life. That your old life is no longer part of your new life. And that bloodline that he, he died for us to have in our life. That makes us, makes us a new creature in Christ. So we shouldn't try dabbling in or grabbing back from that past and trying to just, yeah, a little bit here, a little bit there of anything. Um, Oh, I can't even think of the word, but I just heard a preacher say, um, stop talking to your, your dead man. The, yeah, the man you lived before you met Christ is a dead man. And actually they call that something, a nar- 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 I can't think of what, it's something, anyway, people who talk to dead people. You are not called to talk to your dead man. So stop trying to resurrect him, he's dead, you have a new life, a new man. It's not narcoleptic, that's my mother when she sleeps a lot, right? Isn't that what, yeah, no. I can't think of the word. But it starts with it. Anyway. Alright, so here it is. We recapped, refreshed. That was the first five. So let me ask you something. Over these this last week or two weeks, how many have looked at this scripture during this last week or two weeks outside of Sunday? How many has been talking about it with other people? Studying it. That's right. Stand up. If you've been doing that and you, start, you caught yourself starting to apply... It's candy bar time. Victor, hand out candy bars to those that have been good stewards and servants and working. And if they're in the diet with me, give them two candy bars. Because weigh-in is coming too soon. (laughs) That's exactly what you need to do. Remember, the Bible tells us that we need to be talking over the truths of God at the table. When you wake up at the table with your kids, before you go to bed, talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. Study it. Look it up. Be Berean. Study for yourself. Did you get everybody back there too? All right. All right, so let us finish up with these last two. Brotherly kindness and love. Brotherly kindness and love. Brotherly kindness. So add to godliness brotherly kindness. Simply put, brotherly kindness is not love. I want you to understand that today. Brotherly kindness is not love. And that's why they're separated here. Brotherly kindness holds at its center a firm correction that comes from a genuine concern for somebody's well-being spiritually and or physically. It's a genuine concern for it that will cause a correction to be made if needed. That's a brotherly kindness that I'm talking about. Remember when um, God went after Cain and said, hey. Where's your brother Abel? Well, if you know the story, you know that Cain had already killed his brother Abel. And went back to work. And God, which I don't even want to get in on. We could have a whole topic just on this. God coming to him and, hey, have you seen your brother? Hey, where's your brother? Cain, where's your brother? He goes, what am I, God? My brother's keeper? You notice God don't ask you a question that he don't already know the answer to. He's just trying to kind of awaken your mind to that answer. When he spoke out loud, am I my brother's keeper? I could see in my sarcastic, you know, fleshly mind, I can see God going, yes! Duh! Right! So where is he? Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. You know, in the news on Friday, I was like floored when they showed this report of these five guys who videoed a drowning man. And they're yelling at this drowning man, get out, man, because we're not coming to rescue. He's yelling from the top of his lungs. Not once, not twice, three times he yelled for help. And they're even mocking him. There's an alligator, a crocodile, whatever they are down there, that was coming after him too. And they're mocking him. We're not coming to get you. They never even, with the phone they're using to record the guy drowning, they never even called 911 or anyone. As a matter of fact, the, the man ended up drowning, died. His sister found the video that these kids had, not kids, they're men, had been posting and then posted it to Facebook so that everybody could see the wickedness of what? Of the lack of brotherly kindness. As a matter of fact, even the government understands and has made in most states what's called the Good Samaritan Law. Which means you will be held responsible if you don't act on somebody else's behalf. And so some lawyers got around this. Actually, I found this out Saturday because I was just appalled. I'm like, you know, they can't even be convicted because Florida, where this happened, they don't... I think it's in Florida. Where it happened, they don't have that law. So they knew that these guys were going to get off scot-free. But some lawyers got together and, of course, knowing the law found a loophole in the law that there is another law that stated something else. I don't even think I... No, I didn't write it down. That's something like the Good Samaritan law, but it will hold them responsible if tried properly. It will hold them responsible for not acting on behalf of a crime in progress. That's brotherly kindness. Do you see? We do have a responsibility to our brothers and sisters. Which is all of humanity to act upon their behalf. If you see somebody heading toward destruction, physically or spiritually, it's your responsibility To correct them—that's brotherly kindness. He said, "You need to add to godliness, brotherly kindness. Otherwise, think about it. Think about the order of this. What if you had godliness without brotherly kindness? You'd be a pious Pharisee. I'm so godly. I'm so godly. You guys are all going to hell. You know, I'm so godly, right? But a brotherly kindness." Sacrifices. Oh, it's sacrifice. When you have to confront somebody, especially somebody you know and love, it's tough. You don't want to do it. You'd rather just sit back and pray for them. I don't want to say nothing. Or even somebody you don't really know, and God's telling you, "Uh, so and so, right there, you need to tell that so and so they're heading toward destruction." Oh, no, not me, God. Mm-mm. Tell somebody else, Lord. I can't tell them. What would they think? What would they say? How will they react? Hebrews says, let us consider how we may spur one another on. Towards what? Towards offenses? No. Towards love and good deeds. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So I'm just talking about the brother the the one that's doing the act of brotherly kindness and when they have to go and speak to that person and spur them on because there's a genuine concern for their spiritual or physical well-being that you know it looks like you're heading in a pretty bad direction. You know, why is this? And you start asking them questions and immediately they blow up at you. How are you going to respond? Did you do what you were supposed to do? Did you do what you were supposed to do? Yes. Then the blood, as the Bible says, is not on your hands any longer. How they respond is their responsibility or between them and God. But did you do it with brotherly kindness that you had a genuine concern for their well-being? Now, if you're just going to them to air your opinion, then Proverbs calls that a fool. A fool airs his opinion all over. Nobody cares about, really, let's just say it, your opinion. But brotherly kindness, correcting, genuine concern, correcting them. So we can spur them on to love and good deeds. Love and good deeds. That's what will cause them, maybe not right away. I mean, maybe they will blow up. You know, maybe they will get defensive. Well, fine, forget it. I'm done. I'm not going to try anymore. <sighs> I did what I was supposed to do. I want to spur you on to love and good dreams. But to that, it doesn't, It again, not your opinion, but it helps them realign to God's truth. You will help them realign. Hey, buddy, hey, sissy, I, I noticed that, you know, you're starting to get off here and left base. And um, I want to help. So I, I see you're struggling with this. How about you call me tomorrow at this time and I'll be there for you. And, you know, I'll talk with you, pray with you some more. And, and then when that time runs around, you know, call me the next day at this time. And I'm going to make sure. And, you know, I didn't see you yesterday, so I'm going to pop in on you today. Because I want to realign you to the truth, spurring you on to the truth, not to your opinion or what you think they should do. But spurring them on to loving good deeds, realigning them, realigning them to God's truth. Remember, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins, according to James 5. Let me just say, cover over a multitude of sins means you and me. You got any sins you'd like covered up? You know, don't we walk each day and think, wow, you know, I'm glad, you know, I wasn't trying to tally that day up, but, you know, I messed up big. Brotherly kindness. It says that uh, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will cover a multitude of sins. I like that. I like that. Uh Luke 17.3, if your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. How many times? Over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Rebuke him. Ouch. Helping to realign them to God's truth. Proverbs twenty seven verse six says, Faith are the wounds of a friend. Verse 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It's not okay to sit quietly by and watch a brother or a sister in sin. As guilty as those five men are for watching that man drown is how guilty we are when we sit back and just watch somebody else in a life of sin. A brother or sister in a life of sin. Well, we don't want to confront, you know, we don't like confrontation. We don't want to upset them. We've tried to say something before and they blew up at us, so I'm not going to say anything again. And, you know, somebody else is good at confrontation. I'll just let them do it. Do you know, as Christians, you are called to a life of confrontation? Our whole life should be a life of confrontation. But it's not a lifestyle of offending. If you're just walking around offending everybody, thinking that you're doing God's work, you're you're sorely mistaken. But we are called to a lifestyle of confrontation. Not mean, loving concern, a spurning, a spurring on. Think about it. I mean, we used to ride horses. We had horses when I were younger. And that's not a nice thing for the horse, to feel the spurs in his flanks. It's just not. They don't like it. But it, oh, corrects them real fast. They're starting to drift, and you give them just a little nudge in in the side with a spur. Oh, okay, I understand. That's what that is, spurring them on to love and good deeds, realigning them to God's truth. That's brotherly kindness. And love, the last one, love. So turn with me in your Bible, 1 John, which is just back, a couple pages. Let's read chapter 4, starting at verse 7. 1 John, chapter 4. Starting with verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to. That was the strongest word they could use. Ought. We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know. Let me just say right here. The words we know just in First John alone, which is five chapters, appears 22 times. We know. Those are those are declaration statements of absolutes. We know. We know. We know. 22 times. You want to study a book? This is a good book. We know. We know. A declaration of absolute truths. We know. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in Him and He in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in Him. In this way, love is made complete. There's that word again. Among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love but perfect love or complete. That word perfect also means complete. But complete love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who Who fears is not made perfect. Or complete. In love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says I love God. Yet hates his brother. He is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother. Whom he has seen. Cannot love God. Whom he has not seen. And he has given us this. Command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Look at this, verse 12. If we love one another, God's love is made complete, perfect in us. Verse 17, again, love is made complete in us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. No fear. Fear has to do with judgment, punishment, No fear. His love is made complete in us. So we'll have confidence. Verse 20. If you say you love God and hate your brother, you're a liar. And no liars find themselves in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 21. Must is not a suggestion. It is a command. You are commanded to love your brother. And what is love? According to 2 John, verse 6, love is obedience. It says, and this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. What's the command that we just read? Love your brother. Who's your brother? Who's my neighbor? Have you heard that one before? Everyone. We're all born of God, made in his image. Everyone is your brother. Everyone is your sister. What is love? Obedience. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. And how do we receive that sincere love for our brothers? Let's just be honest. I never had it. I got to the place because of my past and what I allowed in my past that I hated people. Hated them to a passion I enjoyed. There was a pleasure within me, an evil pleasure within me to hurt people. God's love was not in me. I was raised in church. But I had so given myself over to hate that I loved to hate. And I didn't like people. But this right here shows us. That we can have a sincere love for the brothers, a love for sisters, a love for people, because God's love in us is made complete. He says right here, how do we receive that sincere love for our brothers? By obeying the truth. 1 Peter 1.22 says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, when you obey the truth, notice that this is the last thing I'll talk about in a minute. Love is the last thing here on the list. By obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brother. You can't love your brother on your own. Oh, you think, but I do. And wicked people love people. It's not complete love. It's not sincere love. It's not true love. Actually, you should do a study sometime on love and that there's agape love, uh, an Unlimited, without restraint love that goes beyond, and there's a phileo love, which just means if you're making me feel good, I love you. And then there's the erotic erotic love, eros love, erotic love, which is a lust love. He's talking about a sincere love and agape love that you can't conjure up on your own. It's a pure love, it's God's love. And it only comes by obeying the truth. You have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you can have sincere love for your brother. A deep love from the heart, it goes on to say. Notice, I, again, that the last thing of these sevens is love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, Now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Amy, would you come up? I'm going to be closing any minute now. So I don't continue on another week. Let me just give you some little nuggets to walk away with with love. You've probably heard it before. Love is not a feeling. It's a choice. Love is not a feeling. and But that's what. TV tells you, that's what secular, you know, lifestyle, that's what the world tells you. Oh, it is a feeling. Love is a feeling. And if everything is perfect, there's love there. And that's how so many marriages are crashing and burning. Because they've set their mind to what... The secular television has portrayed as real love. It's when you've got roses and rainbows and there's no trouble in your relationship. That's love. But if a little storm brews in that relationship. Oh, I don't love that person anymore. That's wrong love is not a feeling it's a choice that's why a mother can can continue to feed a screaming baby who only gives her poop and puke and tears and sleepless nights and a busy schedule and a lot of headaches but the baby cries and she runs right back over to it and picks it up what do you need baby you hungry? You got a wet diaper? Did you poo-poo? That's love. That's love. Because it's not a feeling. It's a choice. You choose to love. I just performed a wedding. Was that last weekend or the weekend before like I don't remember. Anyway. And every time I stand before a couple and ask them, you know, the vows and do you and I do and you will and she will, I take that to heart and I think about that. You commit to, in your marriage, to good times and what? Let's repeat that a few times to people who are looking at separation or divorce. What, What? I'm sorry, but wouldn't this be one of the bad times you agreed to live through? See, love's a choice. It's not a feeling. Love is also not contingent upon your circumstances. You don't get to choose to love God or love your brother if your brother's lovable. Or if God's treating you right that time. It's not contingent upon what you feel. It's not contingent upon your circumstances. The quickest way to destroy your marriage is to make your spouse responsible for your happiness. It is not your spouse's responsibility to make you happy. I didn't hear that in any of the vows. And actually, if you're drawing your completeness from your spouse, you are in an adulterous relationship. But I'm married. But God, God is number one. You're married to God, this love relationship. And if you're not drawing from God to be your completeness, you can't be complete to your husband, to your your wife, to your mate. But love is not contingent upon your feelings it's not contingent upon your circumstances love is a choice above all 1st Peter 4 8 love each other deeply because love here it is again I love this covers over a multitude of sins so turning a brother from the error of his ways covers over a multitude of sins loving each other deeply covers over a multitude of sins I don't know about you but I have a multitude of sins so if I needed to do anything it would be these last two completely I mean they're all you have to add this and then add this and see how they go together so you have to get to these last two brotherly kindness and love Because it will cover over a multitude of sins Love like the blanket to tuck you in at night Covers you completely Covers you completely Because what did he say You'll receive a rich welcome Rich welcome We'll have confidence On the day of judgment So your application Start adding these things Start adding these things To your faith Goodness Be good Do good Knowledge, search and study God's word. Find out who He is. To knowledge, self control, set your mind for action to be self controlled. He's given you everything you need. To what? Persevere. Add perseverance in there. Let it finish its work so you can be mature, complete, not lacking anything. And godliness, He's given you everything you need to live life godly and upright to godliness, brotherly kindness. Make it your mission to spur one another on what? To love and good deeds. Not to offenses. Not to just make people mad. Not because you can just go around and air your opinions. No. Spur them on to love and good deeds. And then the last one is love. Commanded to love. Commanded to love. You can't expect The blessing of God's kingdom in your life without allowing God to rule as king in your life. So would you just stand right now? I know we went over a little bit because it probably was supposed to be a week four, but sorry, ain't happening. I just get you to close your eyes and just ponder for a minute what God might be saying to you today through this word. I believe that at some point through the messages or message today even that God's tapped you on the shoulder, the Holy Spirit's tapped a part of your heart and said that's the one right there that we're trying to work in. Work in you. Or that's that's the issue. We keep trying to stick you in the fire and hammer it out of you and plunge you in the water again because that's the, that's the one thing that we're trying to work out of you. You need to persevere so that perseverance can finish its work in you. God's been whispering in your ear, that's it, that's it. I don't want you to leave today without coming up to the altar. I believe it's a public declaration of our submissiveness to his kingship. When we acknowledge God and and I believe like we read, you know, what does it mean to be good? Humbly. To be humble. To fear the Lord. To come up in submission and say, I'm here Lord. If there's anything in me, if you haven't heard something, ask him again. Is there anything in me that I'm not, I've stopped at? Maybe I started adding goodness. Maybe I started adding knowledge. But I stopped right there thinking that was enough. There's something in me that you're trying to work out of me So I can go on to the next one and go on to the next one So if I can ask the altar workers The prayer team Unless you need a response yourself today Please do that To come up and get ready I first want to say if you're a Christian but you've never really allowed God to rule as king in your life where you've been trying to walk out these things on your own and expecting the blessings to just follow you It's today's your day and just reestablish that God I've been a Christian however long and yet I just realized today that I've been sitting on the throne of my heart and today I relinquish that and I give it to you and ask him to set again as the king of the throne, on the throne of your heart. I have to ask too, it, you might be here today and you've realized that there's things in your life that, and it's time to clean house. Don't think that you can do this on your own, that's a lie. That's a lie of the enemy. Oh, I can take care of this myself. He wants to draw you apart from other people. We need each other. Come up and get prayed for, and just help me. I mean, you can tell them everything, or you can just say it's time for me to clean house. Just pray with me right now. God gives me the strength. God, by His power, will clean house. And if you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit or a continued filling, filling continually be being filled. The Scripture says with the Holy Spirit because He is the power. That works these things in you and through you. It's by his strength, by his power, that we have been given everything we need for life to live a godly life and escape the corruption in the world. So, Father, right now, continue to just draw your people to yourself, God. Draw the one that's here that has been setting on the 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 fence, Lord that, that thought that their indecision Was was not affecting their life Show them, Lord Show them, Lord Show them, Lord Somebody's here and they need to commit their life to Christ Either for the first time Or for the hundredth time Today's your day Do that, come up front We want to pray with you We want to pray with you Today's your day I got a word when I was praying this morning that there today, in this service, in this service today, there will be, there is a freedom from word curses in your life. Word curses means that you've either believed a lie word that was spoken over you or somebody yeah you've just somebody spoken a word maybe it was a name that you were called while you were being raised up in that name it's placed a curse on you a word curse on you and you've lived under this curse your entire life today freedom's coming from word curses and you just need to call them out I want you to come up to the front I want you to get right before one of these altar workers and say this is the word This maybe you don't know the word. Maybe you just feel God leading you up here. Yep, that's you. Yep, that's you. Just tell the person praying for you. I think it's a word curse. And we'll ask God to give us the wisdom of what that word is and break that curse in your life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Word curses are broke today. God, you declared it. You said it. So be it. Amen. Amen. It is broken today. Word curses assignments are are just canceled right now. Jesus name.